We're on Hollywood Boulevard. Yep, and I am in the driver's seat. Hello, guys. I am Doug, and I am here with Karen, who has a confession to make. How are you feeling tonight, Karen? I'm sobering up. It's all good. I accidentally drank a little too much Georgian wine. Yep. She uh, actually got to taste some Georgian wine for work a couple days earlier, and uh, she got some swag and was imbibing it before we began recording tonight. Yeah. Um, and I got to say, if you had not told me ahead of time, I don't think I'd, I'd tell any difference. Oh, God. I don't know what that says. I don't know what that means. I think it means you can hold your Georgian wine, girl. That's because yeah, I, I feel a little, um, little lightheaded, you know, a little... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. I'm drinking lemonade, so jealous. I know. Well, now I've switched over to lemon water with a little bit of salt. Oh, uh, ooh. Yeah, ooh. a little electrolyte action. But yeah, it was, I mean, look, this wine is absolutely delicious. And like, seriously, there there was this very light white wine that was like, she, we were de- doing the tasting. The distributor was like, well, you know, this is, this is the one that they have on the vineyard and they just drink it like all day, like water. And I'm drinking it while I'm like cooking dinner. And I'm like, oh, I could see that. I can see that. And the next thing you know, it's like half a bottle in and I'm like, oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it is like water. So anyway, but it was very yummy. Yummy is great. Yeah, it was very good for you. So we are here on the boulevard. Yep. And um, we I have no idea what we're doing tonight. We did not discuss this ahead of time. We actually did discuss it as far back as last week. So I think I know where we are. Um, and I think I know what you have to talk about. At least one thing. Um, you may not remember what I said I was going to do. But you'll find out now. Okay, tell me now. I'm going to talk about a show that I saw, um, uh, a musical in the theater. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, see, it's all coming back to you now. So and I know you saw a show. We each had and a show to talk we about. We went to the theater. I went to, we the, both theater. Went to the theater. Yeah, we it's both very went exciting. To the theater. It's yeah. crazy. Um, so I think, tell me about your show. Okay. My show is called MJ. It is a musical about Michael Jackson. And I have thoughts. I want to hear them. Well, here's the thing. It's a fun-ass show. It's not a very good show. Um, It's definitely, it falls in that line of modern jukebox musicals. I think a more appropriate term is catalog, because it's just there to, to stuff in as many songs from Michael Jackson's catalog as possible. Um... It is written by Lynn Nottage, who is a two-time Pulitzer-winning playwright. And despite having won two Pulitzers, I find her grossly overrated and problematic. Um, and it is um, produced and authorized by Michael Jackson's family. So you know it's, it's going to be sanitized. Yeah, it's it's kid gloves. Um, but sparkly gloves. Um, okay, so here is the premise. Um, okay, now I can tell you've had some Georgian wine because I think you're laughing more at my bad jokes. Okay. Um, <laughs> here's here's the thing. Um, let, let me just finish this, this overall description before we, we dive in any further. There is a conceit 
there is a premise here. This show is set during 1992 when Michael Jackson was getting ready to embark on his big Dangerous World Tour. Um, and that was the album that had Black or White, Remember the Time, Will You Be There, Jam, a bunch of those songs. You're saying he was like at the height of his fame at that point? Or um, not well, here's here is the thing that I was going to say. I think you have to say Thriller is the height of his fame because I think that's the height of like any artist's fame ever. This mm. is this is really the end of the reign or the beginning okay. of the end of the, the reign. The beginning of the end. Okay, that's where we're um, okay. and And so we see it's Michael Jackson in rehearsals and talking with, you know, his dancers and, you know, the, the guy who is in charge of the tour and his accountant. And there are two fictitious characters, a um, MTV journalist and an MTV videographer who are going to be following them for a couple days and, and recording them for a documentary that will air on the network. And so those characters are largely there just to sort of poke the bear a little bit and um, uh, like exposit toward the audience some of the things that have been said about Michael Jackson. So uh, the show is the show is very specifically set in 1992 for two reasons and one is he was still mostly popular. He was mostly known for being famous and not infamous um and was still truly like a golden god in show business. But the there were already his quirks. Those existed throughout his career. So we have these two characters to talk a little bit about the rumors about like that he slept in a hyperbaric chambers and did he buy the remains of the elephant man and what was going on with bubbles, the chimp and um, occasional rumors. They refer very obliquely to like some other allegations, but don't get into anything specific. And that's the other thing. Cause starting in 1993 is when his career took a public nosedive that, he never recovered from physically or professionally. And those were the allegations of abuse of minors, of sleeping with minors, of touching minors, of all those things. Um, the show eschews all of that. So I can't really evaluate the show on what it doesn't address or what it doesn't talk about as much as I can just comment on the fact that it is very cheeky about being a, a bio show of Michael Jackson, but only talking about the years from childhood and Jackson five on through thriller and bad and dangerous. Um, so it's, you know, it's like a cheeky thing, but it's also just a sloppy conceit because what the show structurally is building towards is some sort of climax involving his pill popping, which stems according to the show, to when his hair was burnt doing the Pepsi commercial. Um, I would then, believe that. I would believe that. And I do. I mean, I, I think that is quite plausible. It just got out of control. Um, and and so the show, if there's any kind of suspense, is, okay, this reporter now ha has proof on video that there seems to be a pill problem. How is this going to escalate? How is this going to backfire? And ultimately... Not is just drops that thread in the second act. Any mm. sort of plotting that we have literally just disappears by the end of the show, and we just get numbers. So that's what that's what the rest of of the sh talking about the show has to be about, which is okay. You're staging all of these enormously popular, sensational, 
Michael Jackson songs and how does the show do it? It is it is a spectacle in that regard. It is spectacular in that regard. I mean, <laughs> some of those numbers are breathtaking. Really? They are terrific. Yeah. I feel like this is one of those shows that would like do bang up business in Vegas. Well, I saw a Michael Jackson show once when I was in Vegas. That was oh, a similar, okay. it, that it was just a sort of review that didn't yeah, have, like it's just because didn't that's, have a thread. This, right. is, the, this pretends to aim for something higher by hiring a renowned book writer, but, but all you really want the is the music. All you yeah, really want like are the numbers. Yeah. And that's what the show is giving you. So, I mean, some of these numbers are top to bottom, everything, the the choreography, the sets, the lighting, the sound, the orchestrations, astonishing. So well done. The Smooth Criminal number, extraordinary. Billie Jean, terrific. Um, and they're, they're hammered in, like, not in chronological order. They, they come in various points. Um, by the time you get to Thriller, I mean, that's worth the money alone. These... These numbers was the audience going mental yeah. at Thriller? Oh, yeah. Like, did they oh, just explode? All of, them. all of them. I mean, the audience was was super into it, um, and I loved it. I mean, I I enjoyed the hell out of them. I want to say uh, the actor who plays MJ himself. Um, there are several younger actors that play him um, in flashback scenes. Uh, the the lead, the de facto lead, Miles Frost. Um, is really terrific. He summons everything. It's a very impressive impersonation because that's all the show will let you do. I'll say like, there are moments where I thought, you know, if I were writing this show, I would do it a little differently just because there's no, there's no real human touch. Cause this is a show that's about myth-making. This right. is a show that's about preserving a legacy of MJ. That's why it's even called MJ. I'm sure. Right. Um, they call him King of pop even before he himself adopted that moniker that came a bit later in the nineties um, really shortly after the, the show, but still not during the time of the show. Um, there's one scene, there's a flashback to when Michael Jackson is young and he young Michael Jackson has a duet with the character of his mother. And that's how you get in the song. I'll be there. Um, and it's really sweet and it's really nice and it's really well sung. And then towards the end of the number, the actor Miles Frost playing adult MJ comes in and sort of takes over the number and finishes the duet. And that sort of takes us back out of the flashback and into the contemporary part of the show. What you should have done is figure out a way to have child and mother sing, I'll be there and then do a reprise of that in act two at some point that is an emotional high point. And then you have older MJ sing again with his mother or to his mother, whatever the plot point that gets you there, it is what it is. Figure that out. But then you have a callback. There's an emotional syntax of some sort there. Um, Moments like that are lacking in the show. It's just, how can we get in these numbers and sing the heck out of them? That's what they do. That's what you get, but you do get your money's worth. Um, So, I'm torn because it's not a great musical. It's not even a great catalog or jukebox musical, but I really did have a fun time. And I really think the company themselves are to be applauded for the whole, for the whole endeavor. Um, Ephraim Sykes, who is uh, kind of a name, he was in Ain't Too Proud on Broadway a couple seasons ago and is a 
slightly bigger name than Miles Frost is, was originally going to play MJ and pulled out during the pandemic as, as shows were delayed and debating how and when they were going to come back. And I think that may have been a different show with him. I think they may have portrayed the character even differently because I, I couldn't see him embodying uh, physically the way uh, Miles Frost does with MJ. So I'm curious what that show might have been. Um, but I have to say this Miles Frost acquits himself really well in the, in the role. Acquit is probably a wrong word to use because that's not, there's no pun intended. I know a lot of people um, squirm at reviewing this show that doesn't talk about any of the other things Michael Jackson might have done in his life that, that he wasn't convicted for, but was charged for. I don't know if you want, if you want to not see the show, or if you want to say, I won't see a show about someone that I think did really terrible things. That's fine. I, I completely understand that, but then maybe you can't be a part of a conversation about cultural works then. Um, like, I can only evaluate this show as this show, and problems with the book aside, I liked it. Well, I know that there was um, a kerfuffle on the red carpet. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a that's a thing. <laughs> okay. Um, I uh, there was a there was a reporter at the opening night. Uh, Variety reporter pre- press event from Variety, um, who was asking questions about the the criminal allegations, and he was ultimately kicked out. I'm actually on the side of of the Variety guy, but I am too. Um, but that's not, different. Not a lot of people are. <laughs> no, no surpri- well, I think you know the weird thing is I don't know because I only see certain things on social media and nothing else, so I don't. I don't know what has already been curated by like my Twitter feed. Um, but I, th- but I think, yeah, you're allowed to ask whatever questions you're invited press and you're allowed to say whatever you want. Um, I just think, you know, I can point out to, fl- I can point to flaws in, in this show, many of them coming from the book and many of them probably being caused by the involvement of other Jacksons in the show. But, but I can't, I you know, like I, I can't just give this show an F because I think it is unfair that it exists based on those allegations, which is what I think some other critics have done. Right. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's complicated, right? Like, particularly, yeah, it is in complicated, our... but because y- yeah. you 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 can't just cast knowledge aside but you have to do you do have to find a way to be objective when encountering the art you are reviewing right right oh i don't know that's complicated but anyway um i'm glad you had a good time i did i had a great time i was uh i was definitely glad to see it um playing at the neil simon theater in new york till god knows when um (laughs) it is not a smart show but it is a fun show Oh, sometimes, sometimes that's all you need. Yeah. I mean, what am I going to say? Like this music isn't great. <laughs> it is. The music is fabulous. Yeah. 
Um, and yes, all of those dancers are to be applauded. The the choreography and direction are by Christopher Wielden, who also did An American in Paris. And this is better than that in many ways. Wow. Um, not because I dislike An American in Paris, the source material, just because I thought it was an overrated stage adaptation. Well, I also kind of feel like he kind of has a lot to work with. I mean, Michael Jackson yeah. was yeah. a phenomenal dancer. Absolutely. I think that that's something that we kind of tend to forget, like in terms of like a performer, like Jackson was a performer with a capital P. And, yeah. you know, and so in that regard, like he had like he like Jackson already had all of these amazing trademark moves. Right. That, yeah. You know, Christopher Wilden can kind of like build from and work from. Yeah, no, definitely. And um I don't really know where I was going with that, but yeah, I mean, he has um, signature moves and just in general, like movement in, in his life was everything. Yeah. Um, And that's, that's threaded throughout the show. I think in a, it's not an astute way, but it's smart to make sure that's included. Um, But yeah, the show as written by Lynn Nottage constantly addresses his prodigious talent, that he's a genius. It asserts that he's a genius. It doesn't always tell us where his thoughts come from. They just sort of appear, like he channels them. And a smarter show would in some way have questioned that, perhaps. Like the, the musical about Charlie Chaplin going back about eight or nine seasons was not great, but it did explain the psychology behind a lot of Charlie Chaplin's signature moves the the invention of the tramp and why the tramp walked the way he did were things that were folded into the the show itself and that that how we got from point a to point b type of thing is not here right um so anyway that was mj you saw a very different show and i would love to hear how that was i did i saw um an octoroon at the gam theater which is a theater in Rhode Island. Um, it's our one of the equity houses that we have here. And this is a play by, uh, let me see if I can say this while I've had a couple of glasses I can, I can help out. If Brandon be... Jacobs Jenkins. Um, and it's from 2014, I believe it was in New York. Um, and it is only now just coming to um, Rhode Island because we're usually five to 10 years behind. <laughs> um, and anyway, um, they did a fabulous job. Yay! I kind of thought they would, but yeah. Yeah. Um. This, this is okay. I feel like I'm I'm doing I'm doing I'm I'm doing dirty here, but um. Oh. So when a couple of years ago when we first moved here, I was like, okay, so Trinity Rep is our that's our regional theater. That's your right? big regional. That's our big regional. Yeah. Has a Tony Award, you know, all of that. So I was like. Okay, I'm back. I took I took my daughter to see A Christmas Carol, which is sort of like their, like it's their thing, right? Like every year they do A Christmas Carol. It's it's like they're renowned for it, right? Yeah. So I'm like, okay, we're gonna go see A Christmas Carol. She's never done. Oh boy, was it terrible. Hmm. Oh, it was bad. And so you know, and I'm and so I'm kind of like thinking, well just spent 20 odd years doing New York theater. 
very different tolerance level, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, the next year, and I mean, let's face it, like, okay, my kid was going to the theater with me and seeing all sorts of very sophisticated shows since she was little, little, little. So She was, and I've been to shows with her. She had a refined taste for someone so young. The child knows theater. So the next year, she does a school trip to Trinity Rep to see A Christmas Carol. Apparently, that was a disaster. And she, like, you know, came home and was like, oh, mom. Right. And I have to say, I hope like, she was really that emphatic. Oh, oh, she was. She was like, oh, oh, it was, oh, it's awful. I mean, it was like she was, she was like on this, like, it was it, a good 10 minute rant about how terrible My the show eyes. was. Yeah. Basically, basically. So, um, you know, apparently they did that thing where they set it in like the 1970s discotheque and she was uh, just like, <gasps> you know, so I'm um, kind of like Richard III, the biker gang Richard III, yeah. <laughs> which I still really want to see when I've, I, this only lives in sort of like lore, you know, <laughs> and I kind of really want to see the biker Richard sure. III <laughs> MC style because I've never seen it. Um. And and I have to say, and 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 I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll try some some other show with them. But nothing in their programming got me really excited. Yeah. Like it all yeah. felt really not interesting. So, admittedly, I haven't been paying very much attention. It's also been pandemic, like you know, whatever. So you know, now that I'm this big fancy editor. I saw an October was coming, and I said, "Well, you know, I miss this in um, in New York back in the day, and I really did want to see it." So, um, so I booked tickets, and and I was so pleasantly surprised. Um, not that I mean, I knew the play was going to be good. Like it got raves in New York, um, and it is a fabulous play. I mean, make no mistake. I think, and it was actually better than I almost better than I expected it to be because you know sometimes the New York critics kind of really hype something and you get disappointed and I didn't feel that way with this um what I did feel is that uh Brandon has not been given his due as a playwright who kind of paved the way for a play like Slave Play by Jeremy O'Harris to arrive on Broadway Um, and that's kind of how I felt when I was, as I was sort of watching this and I was like, people need to give Brandon a little bit more kudos for this because I don't think slave play could have happened without an octoroon. Yeah. Um, I have had that same thought. Oh, okay, good. I, I'm glad I'm, I, I wasn't alone. But I'm not trying to steal your thunder. You got there on your own. I'm just, uh, saying I agree. Cool. Um, anyway, uh, one of the things that I did really appreciate and sort of shocked me was actually how good the, the acting was. Um, hey, there's good actors everywhere. Which was one of the problems I had with Trinity Rep. I, I felt like the acting was very uneven. Um, and what actually really surprised me is, and I, I'm going to do this call out. Um, there were two, there, there are two roles. The, the roles of the house slaves Dido and Minnie the two women who have this sort of like comedic banter back and forth. And they kind of, I, I, I called them in, in my review, the guiding voices throughout the story. I'm not quite sure if that was accurate, but that was like the best way I could describe them. Um, 
they are both non they're both local actors um they were not like brought here by actors equity or whatever they're both local they're actually non equity hmm. i have not seen I'm going to like read this verbatim from my review. Two actors play off each other so well since the indelible pairing of Philip Bosco and Brian Murray and a starry filled Midsummer Night's Dream at Lincoln Center over 20 years ago. These two were fabulous. They were wonderful. And that's not to say that the cast, like, like the cast was uniformly excellent. And, you know, the person, um, Mark Pierre was the actor who's playing the playwright, and the hero George and the villain McCloskey, like, like he's like really putting in a performance. Like, I don't think he's off stage for five minutes. Like, he's really putting in a hell of a performance. But these two women, just I just looked forward to every minute that they were on stage, and I got really excited when they came out because they were just that wonderful. How, um, for those who know nothing about the show, which I imagine might be many people listening uh how would you go and describe it which is you know there's there's a double thing happening with this show how would you well it's a play within a play i mean it's a you mean like what what it, like kind of like what is it what, yeah it? well it's a play within a play so uh, so brandon has adapted or deconstructed i think is a better word um a melodrama from 1859 uh, called the Octoroon, and I, I, one of the things that I did not get from this play was I couldn't figure out was the 1959 melodrama was that progressive for its time, or was it racist? I mean, obviously, it was racist because yeah, it yeah had I mean, to I be. think yeah, I think it's considered a subversive kind of work. But it was considered a subversive because that was the one thing I couldn't figure out if there was some sort of subversion going on what there I in the original work. Yeah, what I don't remember off the top of my head right now is whether it was really appreciated as such in its time or only discovered later on by scholars and and such. Right. So essentially you've got the it and you've got a melodrama and it really is like the mustache twirling villain um the hero with the heart of gold he's going to save the damsel in distress like like it really does have that that structure which was kind of fun um but because we now recognize the structure for what it is it's very easy to laugh at it and so there was this sort of like heightened performance of the melodrama where it's it's an old plantation in Louisiana. Um, it is going up for auction because the plantation owners went into debt. Um, their former uh, God, what's the uh, not? It's not slave master. It, it's the the overseer, the former overseer of the slaves, has um, bought up some of some of the plantation land, and now he is his own plantation owner, and he is just a cruel slave master whereas this other family i guess were uh, i mean it sounds weird to say good to their slaves because right, they enslaved yeah. people they weren't still, good people yeah. like like they're still problematic but you know they're nicer um and the patriarch of the nicer slavers um had a daughter out of wedlock who w was the octoroon one-eighth black that they talk about and she is a f actually freed person she's she's not she she has her papers she's freed and he treats her the, the patriarch of this family i guess treated her as a daughter as though she were part of the family um 
So I guess that's kind of the setup in and of itself. But now the plantation's going to, into ruin. It's going into debt. And the McCluskey does these sort of underhanded maneuvers to get it up for auction so that he can take over the plantation. And also Zoe, who is this octoroon, because he has designs on her, as does this mm-hmm. nephew that comes in from Paris to sort of save the plantation. Um, but all of this is kind of being played out as BJJ, the character, which is supposed to be the character of Brandon, the playwright, the playwright yeah. is sort of talking about what's going on and why he's writing this play and why, you know, his therapist says, and he's sort of making these commentaries on American theater and sort of the structural, the structural inequities inherent in American theater in general while this play is going on. It's very, very clever. Am I do am I doing this right? I feel like am I doing this am I explaining this right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. There he there is this initial play that has a plot about these slaves and the slaveholders. And then there is this secondary plot around it, which is this meta thing in which the playwright has sort of inserted himself as a character and it it pushes the whole plot along and comments on the the plot within. Right. The new work. Work. Right. And now I don't know if this was a conceit that the director brought in. I, I suspect it was written into the play, which is also very interesting considering this play was written in 2014. But there were when, when we walked into the theater, there was a TV sort of in the middle of the stage and it was kind of on a loop running all of these old racist cartoons. Mm. So it was sort of like you see cartoons of minstrel shows. You see like right. Bugs, old Bugs Bunny doing, you know, doing racist things, you know, so you kind of see this on a loop. So we know that we're kind of looking at this. We're we're gonna be we're like, okay, we're gonna be looking at some tropes here and let's sort of in caricatures and like so this is gonna be really interesting. But then towards the end of the play, they bring the TV back out, and it's at that moment where um spoiler alert, the bad guy gets caught because there's photographic evidence that he murdered somebody that he like set up a native American as the killer, but it wasn't the native American that killed this boy. It was McCluskey, the bad guy. And there's photographic evidence. And there's sort of like BJJ, the playwright stops and sort of says, you can't quite understand what a big deal this was to have photographic evidence of something because it just wasn't a thing back then. And so they pull the TV back out and they start running news footage and I don't know if this was a thing back in 2014. Did that happen? Do you I don't remember? remember. I don't remember that being a part of the staging. Mm. I could just be not, not remembering it because I saw it, what, eight years ago? I just can't remember. Okay. I'll so... tell you what I do remember because okay. it's one of my favorite lines is when um, the the two slave characters, the two women are talking to each other and one of them says, you are not your job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. It's just it's the <laughs> idiosyncrasy of, of all of that. Um, I love that. That so I think much. is really clever. But yeah, so they brought up the, they brought out this TV and they started playing images from the um, from from the January sixth insurrection. Oh, 
Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, that wasn't what I saw. Yeah, Yeah, and it was just, and I was just like, that was, you could have heard a pin drop. Because it was sort of like, you know, this idea of photographic evidence. And I don't, like, anyway, it was just, it was that actually, and I was just like, Jesus Christ, this was written in 2014. And this actually has, it holds even more meaning now what, you know, eight years later almost 10 years later like it's just actually become even more um even more timely even more topical and even more urgent um than it was in 2014 so like it's aged very very well let's put it that way and um which is you know surprising because usually topical plays do not although i suppose it's not very topical um but it in but it just I don't know that that I thought was just really really striking. Um, yeah, yeah, palpable, very palpable. So um, I loved it, and I was blurbed. Oh, did they pick up the review? Yeah, I was blurbed. Good. Yeah, I was blurbed. It's nice to like things. It is. It is nice when they blurb you. I. I mean, I yeah. think it's hilarious because I'm not a critic, but yeah, but. You went and reviewed their show, so you are. I know, but not really, and it's just so weird for me to like be a critic. Like, <laughs> like it just was weird. It's easier to go from one side to the other than you think. I don't know. I guess. I mean, it's just like I'm just like, oh, it's weird to be a critic. Like I'm a, like I don't think of myself as that way, and like you know i don't know it's just it's just very very funny that i'm and i i did post the review on facebook but i felt really weird about it because i'm like i'm like friends with so many people on facebook that are like real critics i'm almost like embarrassed well i'm glad you posted it oh, and i wouldn't you. i wouldn't worry about any of them oh thank you because i got blurbed yeah i mean as well you should oh, thank you and how long does that run until uh, February 20th. Okay. So, like, 10 more days, guys. Give yeah, if you're in Rhode Island. Highly recommend. It was wonderful. Um, yeah, that was pretty much all I wanted to talk about. I know last week I had said, well, the Oscar nominations are today, so maybe I'll have something to talk about. I don't really have anything to say. I don't even know. I like, I knew it was happening and I just haven't had a chance to even look and see like who got what and do I care? Um, you probably don't. I don't let me stop you from checking, but, um, no, I mean, you know, it's my whole thing is my old man thing right now, which is like, they're just not very good right now. So you can nominate 10 movies for best picture, but how many are you even <laughs> going to talk about or think about two years from now? I mean, it's really like that. Okay. The, a lot of these categories, you know, like they found people to nominate and, you know, some of them I even like, though not all of them. Um, but there's very little truly astonishing superlative stuff happening in film this year. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't find much to celebrate. Right. But um, I'll give credit to our boy Bradley Cooper, who did not get an acting nomination, but uh, is in two of this year's Best Picture nominees and is now a nine-time nominee. So there's that. Wow. And Kenneth Branagh, who directed and wrote Belfast about his own life, um which I still think is the year's best film is um, now has now been nominated in seven different categories over his entire career. 
Picture, actor, supporting actor, director, original screenplay, adapted screenplay, and short film. He was actually nominated for a short film the same year his then-wife, Emma Thompson, won her first Oscar for Howard's End. Wow. But he wasn't there. He was busy. He was actually in a show at the Royal Shakespeare Company. Oh, <laughs> I guess he was busy. He was. <laughs> yes, he was the, busy. They don't, they don't call him the new Olivier for nothing. I suppose not. Um, so yeah, those are the movies that I still think people should see. Belfast, Nightmare Alley, Licorice Pizza, go see those. Okay, cool. Um, that's it. I am, we are going to take a break next week because I will be on the left coast. Um, so we'll be back on the boulevard in two weeks, which gives us plenty of time to find more things to talk about and gives you guys plenty of time to come up with things you want us to talk about. Don't be shy about reaching out to us. We are back on the block pod on Facebook. Yeah. And gives me time to sober up a little. I mean, you're probably there. You sound fine. I still feel a little, but yeah, I'm okay. All right. Well then, I mean, we typically sign off by saying it's time for you to go to bed, but it's probably really time for you to go to bed. It is really time for me to go to bed. Then, uh, why, why delay it any further? Um, I do want to try this wine at some point. It is delicious. Um, I can dream. All right. That's it. You guys stay well, and we will see you back in two weeks back here on Hollywood Boulevard. Bye.